church, whether you're joining us on this lawn via the live stream. Thanks for bringing the church into those spaces this morning. Uh, if we haven't met, if you're new, my name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church. As I say, just about every week, I'm the guy who gets the privilege most weeks of opening up the Bible as we dive into God's word together, as we come together in corporate assembly. We're gonna do the same thing this morning. Shocker, I know. And so if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Psalm 124. That's where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, but you own a digital device, uh, which may be true for many, um, you can actually go to that same uh, link on our website that you use to follow along with the song lyrics. And right below that clickable link for song lyrics is a clickable link for sermon slides. So you can kind of follow along with what would normally be up on the screen behind me. Just below that clickable link is a clickable link for the passage of scripture that we'll be in. So you can click on Psalm 124 and it'll take you right to the translation that we're going to use this morning as we work our way through this morning's passage. Uh, let, me, let me go ahead and pray for us and, and we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, as we've seen in many of these psalms up to this point in this series, we're in desperate need of your mercy. We ask you to minister to us this morning through the preaching of your word. We beg you to convict us of indwelling sin by your spirit that we would not see otherwise, that we might not continue to walk in blindness, darkness, and unrepentance. We pray that you would encourage us to faith where we need it, where we're despairing and hopeless and are in need of deeper trust in you. Would you attend the preaching of your word in power as you always do, as you love to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So as I've mentioned for the past several weeks, we're, we're currently taking the better part of the fall to put in our proverbial headphones, so to speak, to listen to a 15-song album within the hymn book of the Old Testament, the book of Psalms, one of the, the most famous books of the Bible, one of the go-tos for devotionals for many of God's people often. It's an album, this 15-song playlist within the book of Psalms that the Israelites would have known incredibly well as they traveled to Jerusalem several times a year for the major Jewish feasts and festivals, singing these songs along the way. It's a playlist that continues to bear significance in the lives of God's people today as we journey down this rugged road of discipleship, you might say, filled with lyrics that, that give something of an honest depiction of the Christian life, of what it is to live amidst a backdrop of a fallen, broken world, so that Christianity is not a pretend religion, acting as though there's nothing troublesome or sinister in the world. We'll see that this morning. It's a playlist that reminds us of who we are and where we're going, disciples of Jesus Christ on our way to the celestial city of God. Just to catch us up to speed, we're, we're in track five this morning, and so I wanna give us a little bit of, of a, an idea of what story this album's been telling up to this point. The lead-off track, if you were around for week one of this series, Psalm 120, sets the stage for the journey, essentially. The psalmist surrounded on all sides by a world not his home, longing for something better on his pilgrimage to the city of God. A reminder that the rugged road of discipleship begins with discontentment, a coming to the end of ourselves and the promises of this fallen world, reminding us that the Christ follower is both a, a disciple and a pilgrim, always learning and always moving. The second song, Psalm 121, it's a song of providence, 
perfect follow-up to the lead-off track, a declaration of confidence in God's never-ceasing care and preservation amidst the dangers of the journey, a God who never sleeps, a God who never slumbers, a God who never grows wearisome of keeping his people so that no danger has the final word for those of us who are in Jesus Christ. It's a song that's meant to inspire confidence as we look above the hills of danger to this this maker of heaven and earth who sent his son to rescue us from the greatest danger that we might know the inseparable love of God, a God who will someday bring us safely into his heavenly kingdom where peril and death shall be no more. The third song on the album, Psalm 122, it's a song of arrival, song of worship, the psalmist having reached his destination, the city of Jerusalem, the place of the house of the Lord, the place of the thrones of the house of David, to use the language of the psalm itself. All that surrounds him, a reminder of the covenant promises of of God as he joyfully stands within the city gates. A song that looks beyond itself to a greater temple, a greater city, a greater king. A song that finds its ultimate hope in, in fulfillment, as does all of scripture in Jesus Christ in whom we can know the stability of a forever king in a forever kingdom of perfect justice, a forever kingdom of perfect equity in a forever city of eternal peace and security, offering eternal thanks and praise in the forever house of of the Lord. A song that that invites us to live today in light of that tomorrow as the countercultural city on a hill that we are, as citizens of heaven's king, as the spirit-filled temple of the Lord, to use that imagery. The fourth song, Psalm 123, is a song of lament, a cry for God's mercy, reminding us that that we're never truly out of the woods as we continue on the Christian way. This world reminding us that things are not as they should be, that we're not home yet, that sin is real, that sorrow is real, that suffering is real, inviting us to to look up when, when the simple lifting of our eyes feels like all that we can really manage only to discover, as we talked about last week, that the Lord has never stopped looking down with eyes of mercy. That's the posture of true Christianity, eyes lifted up, refusing to renounce God in self-reliance, refusing to join the condescending and the proud. Our lives, this never ceasing posture of desperation for the mercy that only God can give. Believing that, to use last week's language, Psalm 123, believing that the master must provide, otherwise the servant goes without. A posture of humble astonishment at the ultimate expression of God's mercy having come down in the person of Jesus Christ. This morning's psalm, track five on the album, you could say, is a a communal song of thanksgiving in response to God's deliverance. The declarative Let Israel now say, verse one, leading some scholars to argue that this psalm was sung in corporate worship, perhaps intentionally placed right after Psalm 123 as a way of declaring assurance that God does indeed answer the cries of his covenant people for mercy. If you pick up in verse one of Psalm 124, the psalmist says this. He says, if it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, Let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. 
Anytime you see a, a repetition of language, there's something to that. You see that in the first two verses. It's incredibly intentional. It's an emphatic declaration of God siding with his covenant people, having delivered them from some sort of enemy danger when they would have been consumed otherwise, which is a, a recurring theme throughout the Bible, right? So that the examples are too numerous to count, whether it be the story of the Exodus where God delivered Israel from the hand of the Egyptians, swallowing Pharaoh's army in the raging waters of the Red Sea, or the many stories of David, including his various experiences of deliverance from the hand of Saul, along with the defeating of the mighty Philistine army, or perhaps the story of Esther, where God turned the tables on Haman in glorious fashion in his attempt at the mass genocide of the Jewish people. Right? All stories of God's outstretched hand of deliverance when his covenant people would have been swallowed up and swept away otherwise. That language of, of being swallowed up alive, verse three, it's either the description of a beast big and powerful enough to swallow its prey whole or that of an earthquake swallowing up the earth and those who inhabit it. And you have that coupled with the imagery of a sweeping flood in verses four and five, drowning any and all in its path. It's an imagery broad enough to resonate with God's people today, right? Making this pilgrim song all the more singable. I mean, we can... We can surely sing like the psalmist of the Lord's deliverance from the forces of evil that would seek to destroy us on our journey to the city of God, right? Paul writes about that in Ephesians 6. But there's also space to, to broaden out our cry as we shout with the psalmist, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. I mean, surely we, we've all had those experiences in life when we would have been swallowed up and swept away had the Lord not helped us. If I just paused for five minutes and said, let's think on that. We, we, we should be able to sit around this lawn for hours and, and just share stories with each other. Those situations that, that we look back on and find it easy like the psalmist to express gratitude for God's mighty hand of deliverance. So that the words of Jonah at the ocean bottom become our own. Jonah chapter two, verses five through nine Jonah says, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, Jonah says, and my prayer came to you, just like the psalmist, into your holy temple, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in steadfast love, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed, Jonah says, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Right? You, you can't get any lower than the roots of the mountains below the sea, the place of utter hopelessness and desperation. One of the questions I would ask this morning is, have you been there? the place where you can't get any lower in life. Jonah knew that he couldn't swim his way to salvation. His cry like the psalmist, if it had not been the Lord who was on my side, a God sovereign over the great fish of the deep, a God sovereign over every engulfing pit and sweeping flood. Right, the psalmist reminding us that none of those things ultimately decides our fate. The Lord does. A God worthy of thanksgiving, a God worthy of praise, which is why the psalmist, like Jonah, goes on to say in verses six and seven, 
Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Here the psalmist pours out praise. Blessed be the Lord. Worthy of worship is this God of rescue. Not only does he deliver us from the engulfing pit, from the sweeping flood, but from the lurking predator and the entrapping hunter. The psalmist essentially says, I should have been ripped to shreds. I should have never flown again. And then... The Lord. It's the story of the Bible, right? The God who sets his people free to spread their wings and fly to the praise of his glorious grace. I mean, isn't that the beauty of the gospel? That Jesus rescued us from the snare of sin and death when Satan was all but ready to devour and destroy us. Had it not been for Jesus, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, we would have been swallowed up. We would have been swept away. In Christ, verse seven, the snare is broken. In Christ, we've been set free. So so that if you're not a Christian, this psalm is an invitation to look to Jesus for the hope of rescue. He lived the sinless life that none of us could live. I say it just about every week. He died the sinner's death that we all deserve to die as the sweeping flood of God's wrath was poured out upon him, to use the language of this psalm. He rose from the dead, conquering our great enemies of Satan, sin, and death that would seek to destroy us. Like Jonah, we cannot escape on the basis of our own efforts and merit. We cannot escape the snare of sin and death on our own. Our only hope is found in the risen Son of God. Joel chapter 2, verse 32, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're not a Christian, I implore you, the, implore you this morning to, to cry out to Jesus for rescue, like the psalmist, to declare him your savior and king. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus coming into this space this morning, it's that kind of posture and trust that the Lord's true pilgrim people never leave behind. As the psalmist goes on to say in verse 8, He says, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. This song comes to a close with a declaration of trust, a declaration of trust that cannot be divorced from the name Yahweh, which shows up four times in the lyrics of this song. God's name in relation to his covenant people, as we talked about back in Psalm 121 a few weeks ago. The name by which God revealed himself to Moses in promising to lead his exodus people safely to the land of Canaan. The name that emphasizes God's covenant faithfulness, his commitment to fighting for us as his people. Which we know he has the power to do, right? Because he's the God, verse 8, who made heaven and earth. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, you see some of these themes repeating throughout the Psalms. This is the God having established the universe without the use of pre-existing material, having shaped his unformed creation into a glorious stage, the stage on which man would dwell with God, the stage on which man would sin against God in rebellion, the stage on which man would dwell with God, walk with God, the stage on which all of the Old Testament shadows that point to Jesus would be established, the stage on which God himself would take on human flesh and die in the place of sinners. The stage on which the church would not only be established, but built and preserved. 
and the stage on which Jesus Christ himself will return and wipe away all sin and sadness forever. That theater-forming God who commands the wind, who commands the waves, and moment by moment holds the, the cosmic stage lighting of sun, moon, and stars in their place. That God of boundless power, verse eight, is committed to wielding his power and keeping his covenant people on their perilous journey to glory. That beasts and floods and ensnarements will continue to lurk this side of heaven, our lives ever and always a moment away from catastrophe be it physical difficulties, emotional challenges, spiritual attacks. That the hope of this psalm is not in the absence of any of those things. That's not the Christian journey. The hope of this psalm is in the God who is for us and whose strong name is our help. Always delivering his people, whether from death or through death, like Jesus Christ. Where does our help come from? Verse eight, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. That God is up to something, this Psalm declares, in the lives of his people that he's not up to in the lives of those who are not his people. Let me say that again, because I think maybe some of us need to hear that a second time. God is up to something in the lives of his people that he is not up to in the lives of those who are not his people. Romans 8, 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? That we can trust that God is on our side because he sent his son to die for us. As a, as a communal song, this is one that, that we can sing in corporate praise, declaring gratitude to the Lord for the preservation of his people, for the preservation of the church, declaring our trust that, that he will bring his people safely to shore. Hebrews 13, five, never leaving nor forsaking us on the journey, always with us. His face no longer turned away from us, but rather toward us with the light of reconcilement shining. That we who are in Christ are among God's rescued people whose deliverance is owing solely to God's grace, just like Jonah. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been Jesus who gave his life for us. My prayer this morning coming out of this simple song is may we never cease to declare our gratitude and our trust for the past, present, and future rescue that's ours in Jesus Christ.